0: Go ahead and have a seat. It's good to be with you this morning. Welcome to Providence North Community Church. My name is Josh. I'm one of the pastors on staff. And again, it's just an honor to be with you this morning. Um, If you're new with us, or maybe you missed a couple of weeks ago, we are actually currently in the middle of a little mini series that we're calling The Gospel in Marriage as we work through the book of Ephesians. And that's what we do here at Providence. We preach verse by verse through different books in the Bible, and we just happen to be in Ephesians right now. And so it's been a wonderful study through this book, Um, and really the last few weeks, as as we've been talking about marriage, has been uh, pretty impactful, especially for me. Uh, Two weeks ago, Sean did an incredible job teaching through the passage that discusses the uh, the role and attitude of wives in the marriage relationship. And he talked about what submission means in the context of a biblical marriage and actually what it doesn't mean which leads us to the passage that I get to talk about today, and that's dealing with husbands. So uh, I didn't know which one I'd be more afraid of, actually talking about submission or talking about husbands, because God's been doing quite a bit of work on me this week as I've been preparing for this. So if you're a man in here, or if you're a husband in here, I want you to grab a pen, something to write on, because what we're going to talk about today is probably one of the more important texts when it comes to biblical marriage and how we are to live that out. Um, but before we get into that, Much like what Sean did a couple of weeks ago, I'm gonna give you just a little bit of a glimpse. I'm gonna open up uh, Danielle and I's dating, engagement, and marriage life for you throughout uh, the message today. So, I grew up in a small town, uh, Fort Collins, Colorado. Uh, It's a fairly liberal town, or college town. um, And I grew up in a fairly liberal home when it came to the teachings on sex, drugs, and religion. And oddly enough, my first church experience Believe it or not, my very first church experience came uh, when I was at the age of 10 or 11 because I shot another kid in the head with a BB gun, and so I caused quite a bit of damage to this kid, and his parents were like, hey, we won't press charges on you if you just come to church with us. So my parents were like, you're going to church, right? And so that was my first church experience. It was an interesting experience to say the least. I found out uh, that summer, it was a hot summer, that as I was going, if if the kids spoke in tongues, the pastor would buy you a frosty afterwards. So guess who spoke in tongues that summer, right? Don't blame me. It was hot. I wanted a frosty. It was one of the most incredible frosties I've ever had, but I had no idea what I was doing. To say the least, I grew up in a non-Christian home, right? I definitely didn't grow up in a home that was rooted on the foundation of the gospel, And before the age of 18, I went through three different divorces between my parents, and I never really saw what a godly marriage looked like. Now, to be fair to my amazing parents and even my step-parents that uh, came along in my life, they contributed greatly to my upbringing. And they did teach and model uh, some things for me that were just absolutely amazing, such as compassion, love for those in need, love for their children, serving others, and also what a strong work ethic looks like. And so for as many faults as they have, all I can do is praise God for them. God gave me exactly what I needed when I needed it when I was growing up through the love of my parents, and I praise God for uh, the parents that he gave me. But when it comes to marriage, this definitely was not one of their strong suits. Uh, They struggled, and in turn gave me little to understand and know when it came to how to lead and love my wife well today. And speaking for Danielle, she would say similar things about her upbringing, Uh, Likewise, she experienced pain and suffering. She witnessed a poor example when it came to marriage, as well as a divorce between her parents at the age of 16. So we had some pretty troubled past and pretty hard things that we went through as children. But all that being said, we had great memories of our childhood. But we can also look back with sadness at the brokenness in our parents' relationships. Now, I want to fast-forward a little bit. Fast-forward to the year 2003. Danielle at the age of 20 moves to Boulder, Colorado and in order to get in-state tuition at the university there She had to basically emancipate herself from her family So she had to work and live in-state for a year before she could get in-state tuition So one particular morning while managing a restaurant I remember this energetic confident incredibly beautiful young woman come in and ask for an application and So as any good manager would do I handed her an application. I set up an interview right away and I hired her I gave her a full-time job Now, Danny will tell you, and she reminds me of this quite often, that it was definitely not love at first sight. Uh, She she did not feel that when she walked in the door. Um, But uh, I believe that uh, after working together for over a year, spending most days in the restaurant together, we became close friends, and my persistent flirting finally wore her down. Um, So on December 7th of 2004, uh, after a smooth little speech, I reached over and I kissed her for the first time. Now, if you know me, much like my wife, and Sean could attest to this as well, when I get excited about something, I have very little patience. And so two weeks after kissing Danielle for the first time, I wrote her a letter. And in this letter, I told Danielle how incredibly amazing she was, how beautiful she was, and more importantly, how I intended on spending the rest of my life with her. And so that was it. After two weeks, I pushed all the chips in. I said, here we go. But it was at the end of this letter that I wrote something. And I had something to say to her that I truly meant, but I didn't quite have a full understanding of how it would play out. You see, as I've shared with you, Danielle and I come from broken homes and broken families with lots of poor decisions and behaviors modeled for us in the context of marriage. And for all intents and purposes, you could look at our past and you say, our marriage was highly unlikely to succeed or prevail. You see, we knew very little about what it meant to have a healthy, vibrant, and trustworthy marriage. And so in this letter, I told Danielle that in our marriage, in our life, together we were going to do something incredibly special, despite all of our circumstances. Our marriage was going to count for something. I just had no idea what that meant. And men, if we're being honest with ourselves today, I believe this is something that we all desire. I believe we all want our marriages to count for something more than just a piece of paper. But we've also struggled to grasp and understand, and perhaps even today, you're struggling to grasp and understand what your marriage is supposed to look like. You see, men, a question I believe we need to ask ourselves this morning is, do we actually understand what it means for our marriage to count for something today? In some ways, we might be fairly confident in what that means, especially from a worldly perspective. I think we could come up with all kinds of different answers for a marriage that counts for something today. We might come up with answers like our marriage will count and be successful when we have three perfectly well-behaved and handsome kids, or it might feel like we've arrived in our marriage when we own a beautiful home, or when we've saved that giant 401k that our family can live off of and ride into the sunset. And so the question, though, that I want to ask is in our heart of hearts, is that truly what we want? Is that truly what we desire? Is that what we dreamed our marriage would mean for the world and for those around us and ourselves? Now I hope the answer is no. But that begs us to ask the question, if not any of those things, if it's not the well-behaved children, if it's not the beautiful home, if it's not the 401K, then what is it? Well, thank goodness for the model that we have in Jesus. Thank goodness for the scriptures, and thank goodness that Paul wrote Ephesians 5. You see, Ephesians 5 is this beautiful illustration of what a true, loving, sacrificial, and godly marriage looks like. And so for the men in this room today, I want us at the end of the day to understand what it means to love our wives, and in turn, the impact that it can have on our marriages and even those around us. You see, what we learned two weeks ago is that the Bible gives the woman one command when it comes to marriage. Wives, submit to your husbands. Do you know why he gives the woman that one command? For the same reason he gives men predominantly one command, to love their wives. Because the woman is a fallen person. She's a sinner. She's selfish. And as a a result, she will rebel against her husband. And so God tells women to submit to their husbands. And in turn, gentlemen, you and I, we're selfish. We're selfish human beings. And when left to our own thoughts and brilliance and flesh, we will neglect and abuse our wives. And God tells us that in our selfishness and in our weakness that we are to love our wives. So how do we do that? How do we love our how do we love our wives with a lack of wisdom, a lack of brilliance and complete selfishness? Well, let's take a look at the scriptures and see what it has, see what God has for us this morning. We're going to start in Ephesians 5 verse 23. Ephesians 5:23. And as we get here, I want you to notice something right away. I want you to notice what it says about Jesus in verse 23. Starting off, it says, For the husband is the head of the wife. Now, I want you to stop right there. Men, we love this one, don't we? In our pride, in our ego, we love that one. It's easy for us to grasp. We are the head of the wife. But he goes on. Paul goes on, for the husband is the head of wife as Christ is the head of the church. Yes, we, we love that one too. Keep it going. And then he says something right here. He says, and is himself its savior. Is himself the church's savior. Do you notice that? Jesus is the head of the church as his position, as his authority. But he's also the savior of the church as his action or the way that he lives. What the scriptures are telling us is that you cannot have great authority without great sacrifice. So why is Jesus Christ a savior? Because he loved us so much that he exalted us, the church, and he died for us. Now, personally speaking, I have no problem submitting to Jesus, at least on the outside. I have no problem because he exalted me, he died for me. And the reason I don't have an issue with that a lot of times is because the hand that is leading me, the hand that is guiding me, the hand that is pointing me in the right direction has a hole from the nail that was once in it. Therefore, wives don't generally have issues submitting to a certain kind of husband, a husband that knows he is the head as Christ is the head and is the Savior as Christ is the Savior. Gentlemen, you and I cannot be given such important positions of authority without character. We don't deserve that position of being the head when we first don't lead from that position as lovers. And speaking of love, Paul is going to give us two ways that we are to love our wives. First, in verse 25, Paul is gonna share a theological perspective on how we are to love our wives. And then in verse 28 and 29, Paul is gonna give us these very practical ways that we are to love our wives. So verse 25, it says this, Ephesians five twenty-five, Husbands, love your wives... As Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Now, as I was thinking about this this week, I asked myself, how did Christ love the church? Well, Christ loved the church in thousands of ways. He taught the church. He performed miracles for the church. He healed the church. He died for the church. But one of the ways that came to to mind fairly quickly, just in light of Easter, was that Jesus Christ loved the church first didn't He? He loved us first. Jesus came to you and me, and He loved us first. He didn't expect us to come to Him and serve Him and love Him, and maybe He'd love us back. No, He came and loved us first. Christ went from glory to manhood. He laid aside His glory for 30 years, and when He finally showed it, He did so only to guide us and lead us to the Father. And in response, what did we do? We tortured him, they beat him, they humiliated him, they pushed a crown of thorns upon his head, they drove nails into his hands and feet, they hung him on a tree, they pulled him down, wrapped him in a cloth, and buried him in a hole. And so Christ, in all of our failures, in all of our disobedience, in all of our sin, came to us and loved us first. He took the initiative, he took the first step, he made the way for reconciliation. 1 John 4.19 says this, we love because he loved us first. So husbands, how do you love your wives? Do you wait for your wives to show you love? Do you wait for your needs to be met? Do you wait for your authority to be recognized, or do you love like Christ loved and you love her first? Now, when Danielle and I were first dating and engaged and then married For many of those years, this was not my attitude. Um, Even as a believer in Christ, a man who loved Christ, who trusted Christ, whose best friend was Christ, this was not the ideology that I adhered to when it came to my belief in marriage. Oftentimes, my attitude towards Danielle was the complete opposite. It was, Danny, you need to respect me. Danny, you need to honor me. Danny, you need to meet my needs. And if, then if you act and live the way that I want you to live, then maybe, just maybe, I will pursue you and cherish you and love you. And this was the complete opposite of God's command on how I was to love her. And it was about a year ago that Danielle and I went through a marriage Bible study. And then this book, I came across uh, this quote that really spoke to me. And it said this. One of the best wedding gifts God gave you was a full-length mirror called your spouse. Had there been a card attached to it, it would have said, here's to helping you discover what you really like. This could not have been more true for myself. God gave me this beautiful, brand-new, full-length mirror, and what I saw in return was a woman that was being deeply hurt by her husband. I saw a man that was obsessed with goals and work. I saw a man that was extremely passive when it came to protecting his wife and putting her first. I saw a man that was looking to be served rather than to serve. And the gift that God gave me in my marriage to Danielle was the ability to see just how truly selfish I am. Just how little I tend to think of others, especially her. It was my wake-up call. Unfortunately, it just took me a long time to hear that call and to actually answer it. It took me a while to awake from that sleep of sin and selfishness and to love Danielle the way that God had commanded me. And so again, men, I ask the question, how do you love your wives? Do you wait for your wife to try and fulfill your every physical, emotional, and sexual need that you might have before you care for her? No, you love your wives first. Your love is driven by the nails of sacrifice as Christ loved us. Which means, as the head or as the leader of your family, when we think we deserve something, when we believe we have certain rights because of the authority and the position that we've been given, when we feel like that we're being treated unfairly or we're experiencing conflict or that we've been sinned against, sinned against, our response is this, to love first. You lay down your authority, you lay down your position, your pride, your ego, your selfish thoughts, and you take the initiative. You make the first move. You make the way for reconciliation. You love your wife as Christ loved the church. You love her sacrificially. And your love for her is for her betterment. And you love her like you care for yourself. These next few verses, we're going to see how Paul goes on, and he basically says, all right, men, I've given you this theological perspective. Now let's get very practical. Men, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Ephesians 5, 26 through 29, we continue. It says this, love your wives as Christ loved the church, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, That she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ has done for the church. Now, the question I want us to answer with this text is Did Christ love us like his own body? Well, when we look at the scriptures, we see that the church is in fact called the body of Christ, right? So when you believe in the gospel, when you trust, when you place your trust and faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior, when we believe that, we are placed into an intimate relationship with the head of the church, with Christ. So we have this relationship with him and we become a part of his body. So does he love us like his own body? Well, yes, he does. He does. He nourishes us. Every need that we have, he provides for us. He cherishes us. He protects us by leading us and guiding us through this dark world. And so, yes, Jesus does love us as his own body, and he does nourish us and cherish us. So, practically speaking, men, how are we to do that ourselves with our wives? Now, a little disclaimer before we get into this next section of Talking about the practicality of loving our wives. I want, wives, I want you to hear this. Any wives in the room or future wives in the room? There is only one guy, there's only one man that can love you, pursue you, nourish you, cherish you perfectly. There's only one man, and that's Jesus. All right? He's the only guy that can do that for you perfectly. But, men, that doesn't mean we can't give it our best. All right? When Danny and I first started dating, I'm not going to lie, but I was killing it. I mean, (laughs) I was good. I was a hopeless romantic. I'm still a hopeless romantic. So I was writing her notes every day like post-it notes, and I would leave these all over the place. I was spending quality time with her. I would go on these ridiculous hikes with her, which I wasn't really a hiker, and so she would gallop up these mountains in Boulder, Colorado, like an antelope, and I'm like dying on the way up with her, but I wanted to cherish her and pursue. Her. I was literally pursuing her up a mountain, and so I wanted her to feel special, right? All in all, I was pretty confident that I knew what women wanted, right? I was doing it right, uh, but all that came crashing down pretty quickly. As our relationship progressed, there was some tough lessons, and quite honestly, I'm learning those lessons today. Uh, but one of the best resources that I've come across in my life is a book called "The Five Love Languages." Anyone heard of it? Anyone not heard of it. Okay, good. <laughs> it's one of the best resources, and we were actually given this book during premarital counseling, and it was eye-opening for me. It was huge. But the premise of this book is that everyone gives and receives love in one or more, or one or two ways. Those are primary ways of giving and receiving love. The first one is acts of service, right? So, in other words, if you serve the someone that you love, if you do something for them, then they will feel cherished and valued, all right. Number two is gifts. Some people are wired to feel cherished and valued when you give a gift, all right. Number three is physical touch. Um, by the way, if you're dating or you're not married in here, this is something, you've got to wait till you're married, right, for this one. But yes, physical touch. This is through the act of physical touch. Even if it's just the slight touch on the shoulder as your wife is next to you, it lets them know, hey, I cherish you, I value you. Words of affirmation, that you speak value into the life of the one that you love. That's a big one for me. That's a big one for a lot of men. That you speak value into the life of the one that you love, and then in turn, they feel cherished and loved. And then the last one, quality time. This is when your spouse just wants you to spend just quality time with them. They want you to spend it with them, right? It could be on the couch talking. It could be on a walk. And more often than not, it's just putting away things um, and putting your focus on your spouse. Now, men, I'm going to give you some real quick advice. This is going to save you hundreds of dollars in counseling, and it's going to go a long way in your marriage. All right, ready? find out how your wife receives love and do that first. That's it. We could close the sermon. We could be done today, right? That is one of the best things that you could do is find the way that your wife receives love. Now, Danny receives love through quality time and words of affirmation. And so if I write her a text during the day, speaking into her as a wife or as a mother, as the hardworking and loyal employee that she is, she thinks I'm the greatest guy in the world. She feels so loved and cherished. I've also learned that in order for her to feel loved, I need to turn off my phone. I need to put work away, and I just need to be there. I need to be present, not just physically, but spiritually and emotionally. I need to be present. I need to sit down on the couch or as I failed to do this week, just being honest, I'm going to confess here real quick, I failed to, she was sitting outside on a beautiful night, and I failed to sit outside with her um, and just listen to her and actually listen. And she was hurt by that because I wanted to be inside. I don't like being outside. I don't, I don't. Selfish, I'm sorry. I wanted to be inside on a couch. So here it was. All I needed to do, all I need to do sometimes is just, I just need to listen to her. I just need to slow down. I need to put life away. I need to listen to her. And when I do that, it ministers to her heart in incredible ways. And so um, when we first started dating, I was really good at this. I was really good at this. It was easy for me to ignore all the other responsibilities that I had at such a young age. It was easy for me to ignore those things and then engage her and cherish her and nourish her because I was pursuing her. But the irony today is that I tend to ignore my greatest responsibility, and that is my wife, and I prop up all these other responsibilities throughout the week. The irony of that is that when you're dating, all you want to do is spend time with that one person, right? If you remember the cordless phones, you would spend hours on the cordless phones talking to those women in your life that you were very intrigued and you wanted to pursue. And now today, I can it's a struggle to have a conversation sometimes. So ironic, I think. But I think we could all say the same thing. Now, let me illustrate the importance of recognizing how different people receive love differently and how helpful it can be to determine how your wife receives love. So, like I said, early on, I knew exactly what women wanted. Um, And from my perspective, I was killing it. But much of what I knew came from watching my father and his marriages. Again, Probably wasn't the best thing to look at that for advice, but that's what I did. Growing up, I witnessed my father display love to his wives by purchasing them jewelry because they received love through gifts. I just didn't recognize that. So guess what I did for Danielle? Uh, I bought her a beautiful necklace when we first started dating. Right? And I remember this day so well. I was like, I'm so proud. I got this necklace, and I went over to her apartment. I, I dressed up. I came in. My chest was puffed up. I was getting ready for, like, this mating dance or something I was doing, and I presented this necklace to her. You know what she did? She opened it up. She's like, oh, that's nice. Put it on the dresser. That was it. I was like, are you kidding me? Aren't you going to put that on? She's like, well, yeah, but not right now. Like, I was like, I was baffled. I mean, I know friends who have wives today that if you buy them jewelry or gift, it's, like, guaranteed to be a good, it's going to go well, right? It's <laughs> going to go well in a good way. But what I learned that day is that this will never be the case for me. This is not how Danny receives love, and that's okay. I have other friends whose wives feel loved and cherished through acts of service. Now, if this were my, if this were me in my case in my marriage, then I, no joke, I'd be the man. One of the things that I enjoy most about our marriage is that we rely on each other so much, and oftentimes in more non-traditional ways. Danielle's a full-time working mom, and so I have the great privilege uh, for the majority of the time doing a lot of the laundry, cooking, cleaning dishes, making lunches, taking kids to school, and I love it, but the funny thing is, is when I do those things, what I receive in return is like, oh, hey, thanks for doing that, pat on the back, and again, it's like I know I have friends who all they have to do is turn on the washing machine, They don't even put it to the dryer or fold it or put it away. They just turn it on, and their wives are like, I love you so much. (laughs) This is never going to be the case for me. Now, of course, I appreciate the recognition that Danielle gives me because one of my love languages is words of affirmation. But it surely doesn't end the way that I would so often hope for as my number one love is physical touch. But again, what this text is telling us, just move right on, but this this text (laughs) is telling us so clearly is that it's not about us, right? This is not about us. Acts of service is not how Danny receives love. It's not how she feels cherished. It's to love my wife like Christ loved his own body, and that is by nourishing her and cherishing her and providing love for her in the way that she receives it. And, then for, Dan- and for Danny, this is through quality time and words of affirmation. My wife needs me to put all things aside, even things that I feel are super important at the time and I need to focus on her. She needs me to speak words of affirmation into her life as a wife, as a mother, as a friend, and as a coworker. But finally, there is one other way that all wives need to receive love. There is one way in which all Christ-following husbands need to give love to their wives, and we see it actually in verse 26 and 27. Now, I sort of glossed over these verses earlier, but it's not because it's not because they're not theological. It's not a theological perspective that Paul gives us, and it's not because it's not practical. It's because they're both. They're one and the same. And it's because they describe one of the most important ways we are called to love our wives. Husbands, we not only need to nourish and cherish our wives by practically loving them through the way that they receive love, but we also need to spiritually lead our wives. We need, to under, we need to help them understand who they are in Christ. And so Ephesians 5, 26 and 27 says this again. Men, love your wives as Christ loved the church, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish, that he might sanctify her. Church, Jesus' death on the cross was our salvation and our justification. We have been saved from the consequences of our sin and the consequences of death, and we are justified. Or in other words, we have been given right standing with God. We are seen as righteous in the eyes of God. And salvation and justification are immediate. They're immediate. As soon as you place your faith in Christ, they are immediate. But sanctification. The process of becoming more like Christ is just that. It's a process, it's a lifelong process of becoming more and more like the spotless and perfect Lamb of God. One theologian describes sanctification this way: He said, God is discipling us towards one main purpose. And that purpose is being conformed into the image and into the likeness of Jesus Christ. So, how does Christ sanctify us as the church? Well, he does so gently, compassionately, patiently, and humbly. Just as Jesus, in all his humility, bent down to wash the disciples' feet, he sanctifies us little by little, faithfully and for the long haul. And most often, he uses the tool, the tool that he uses to sanctify us is his word. Jesus' sh- Jesus's shed blood can clean anything even the darkest of stains and sins. What we might think is secret sin in this room today is actually open scandal with God. And what we learned over this past week from Good Friday and Easter is that Christ took every single bit of our sin on the cross. You are no longer shackled and chained by the sin of your life. You have freedom in Christ. We all have freedom in Christ. And husbands... Here we see that we've been given this incredible responsibility of leading our wives to those truths. These verses right here show us that we have a unique role when it comes to the sanctification of our wives. God has uniquely and sovereignly positioned us to aid in our wives' process of sanctification because we live with them, we partner with them, we parent alongside them. We are of one flesh, as the text says. And in the privacy of our own homes and the intimacy of our marriage relationships, we are uniquely positioned to see and speak into our wives' lives and lead them to the truth of the cross. And we are to use them, we are to use the same tool that Jesus uses. And that's his word. And so this means two things for us, men. One, we need to be in the word. Now I want you to stop right there. I want you to think about that. We need to be in the word. Our only ability to love and cherish and nourish and disciple our wives comes from an overflow of what Christ is doing in our lives. So we need to be in the word. We need to seek to understand it. We need to be changed by it. And secondly, we need to be, we need to be able to then share with our wives what we're learning. We need to be in the word with them and we need to disciple them. Listen up, man. The number one person in this world responsible for the discipleship and sanctification of your wife is you. It's you. It's not me. It's not the pastor. It's not Sean. It's not Beth Moore or Jen Wilkin or whoever the next latest and greatest podcast is. Nothing against those leaders. But again, the number one person in this world that is responsible for the sanctification of your wife is you. Now, that doesn't mean that you preach at her constantly, you throw Bible verses at her throughout the day as she sins, but it does mean it does mean that you care about her prayer life. It does mean that you care about her devotional life. So let me ask you this. Do you know what your wife's prayer life is like? When's the last time you took the initiative to pray with her? Do you know what she's studying or is she actually studying? Do you know what her spiritual gifts are? How God has uniquely created her to serve the church? And is she actually utilizing those gifts? Men, I've seen so many male leaders, men that are married, that are both in the church and outside the church, they are serving, they are teaching, they're leading nonprofits, and yet they have no idea what's happening in the spiritual lives of their wives. They have no idea. It's as if their wives are spiritual widows. Husbands are with them physically, but they're alone spiritually. And scripture is very clear when calling us to love them the way that Christ loves the church and gives ourselves up for them. So that we may sanctify them and nourish them and cherish them. And if you want to love your wife like Christ loved the church, then men, it is spiritually critical that you engage your wives in their walk with Jesus. And it is then that your wives will feel truly cherished, nourished, and loved. And I want to share this quote with you from one of my favorite pastors. It's Ray Ortland. He says this about a Christian husband. He says, a loving Christian husband cares so deeply about his wife that he makes sure that her life is moving in a desirable direction, even as Christ nourishes us all. Marriage to a Christ-like husband is, for a woman, the opposite of a dead-end life. A woman married to a nourishing man comes to the end of her days as an older lady. And as she's sitting on a porch somewhere in her rocking chair, looking back on her life, she is praising God and thinking, you know what? Being married to my husband opened up my whole life. Yes, we suffered. Yes, we made mistakes. But in it all, my husband thought of me. He cared about how my life was going. What a great run we had living together for Christ. Now, who wouldn't want their wives to say that about them? At the end of their days, your wife looks back fondly praising God that even in the ups and downs, you cherished her, you nourished her, you loved her, all the while living for Christ. I pray that's the way Danny speaks of our marriage someday. Finally, church, I want us to look at these last two verses, verses 31 and 32. 31 says this, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound. And I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. You know, 15 years ago when I wrote Danny that letter, and in that letter I told her that we were going to do something special in our lives, that our marriage was going to count for something. I truly had no idea what it meant, but I knew I meant it. But today, I think I'm beginning to see it. You know, God has done incredible work in both of our lives. In many ways, he has healed us and then he's broken us down in our pride so that he could build us back up again. He has shown me as a husband in my marriage that in my position that I need to die to myself and sacrifice my desires and my needs for my wife. He has shown me that I need to love like he loved, and that is by loving Danny first and by sanctifying her and nourishing her and cherishing her and leading her spiritually. And God, by showing me these truths, has revealed to me what this profound mystery is that Paul speaks of in verse 32. And that is that Danny and I can show the world something far more beautiful and far more special than anything I'd ever imagined when I wrote her that letter. God has shown me that in this lifetime and that in our marriage, we can show the world the gospel of Jesus Christ. And in my heart of hearts, that is a marriage that counts for something. Would you pray with me?